Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to 2 Samuel chapter number 20. <coughs> Excuse me, 2 Samuel chapter number 20. So this morning in the message, I referenced uh, the Andy Griffith Show. How many of you, how many of you uh, remember Andy, the Andy Griffith Show? Let me watch that. Uh, man, the Andy Griffith Show, growing up, uh, my dad, he loved Andy Griffith. And I remember uh, flipping channels with my dad. We would, we would come across uh, the show, and inevitably, dad would, would stop. And uh, of course, it was during the time when you, you couldn't DVR things and go to uh, streaming TV. You just had to deal with what you had as you flipped channels. And, and dad would come across Andy Griffith, and he'd, he'd say, well, we're going to watch this as long as it's on. And we might watch one episode, or it would be a marathon, you know, and you get 10 episodes and, and something like that. And we'd just sit there and, and for a couple hours just watch Andy Griffith. I love that. And then, of course, when Netflix came around and you could stream Andy Griffith, there would be many times I'd go over to the house and dad would be sitting there watching Andy Griffith. And uh, my son, Micah, we were talking about Andy yesterday, Andy Griffith yesterday, and, and he, he recalled, man, dad would always just, or papa would always sit around and watch Andy Griffith with us. And uh, I love, love that show. You could probably name a bunch of the characters, those, those of you that have been around it. You could name Andy, and you could name uh, Gomer Pyle. You could probably talk about Aunt B or Opie and others, but probably, probably, even though it was called the Andy Griffith Show, probably the most character, most famous character on the Andy Griffith Show was who? Barney Fife. Yeah, everybody knew Barney Fife. As a matter of fact, if you if you are an Andy Griffith fan. Um, toward the end seasons, the last couple of seasons, Barney was off of the show and they had a, a replacement. And that's, that's really one of the reasons they canceled the show was because Barney Fife was no longer on it. But Barney Fife, he was really, uh, he was key to the entire show. He's known for a lot of things, but he's really known, Barney was always known, known for his sayings. He's always had sayings. One of those sayings that he had was, nip it in the bud. And uh, I remember growing up wondering, what does that mean, nip it in the bud? And you know what, Barney, of course, he would always say that. Anytime trouble would come up when it would start, he was really saying, you need to deal with this, deal with this before it becomes a bigger issue. Deal with this before it becomes a bigger issue. Think about it this way. When, uh, when springtime comes around, those of you that have gardens or you're involved in gardening or even in your, in your yard, when is the best time to take care of weeds in your yard or in your garden? It's when they're small. Man, when they're small, before they start, you put down a weed killer. When they're small, you get out there and you start to pull them. Um, our backyard, our, our backyard has this, uh, this weed. Christy, what's it called? Kosha. We have this weed in our backyard, and Christy told me what it was, and I, have, I don't even know it. I just know this. If we as a family, if we don't get out and start taking the kosher out in like, uh, in like April, uh, May 1st, that kosher is going to be like trees in the backyard. Last year, we didn't get out there, and we didn't really get it uh, trampled down or taken out good, and uh, something happened where we were gone 
right in the middle of, of June and July, and it, was, it wasn't too bad. We were gone for two weeks, came back, and I'm not lying, you'd think we had a forest of this stuff. And the best time to deal with weeds is when they're small. The best time to deal with a situation is when it's not blown and huge and something that you can't deal with. That's what Barney's saying, nip it in the bud. And tonight, I want to talk to you about an area of life that I think we should nip it in the bud. Get it taken care of before it's blown out of proportion. Pulling weeds when they're small. If you've been in our study in 2 Samuel, we've been in the life of David. And of course, we've traveled with David from tending his father's sheep all the way to the ascension uh, to the throne as, as king of Israel. David has had a lot of ups and downs, but lately in David's life, we've mostly seen him down. We've mostly seen the, uh, the dark days of David's life. And unfortunately, lately, this great king has, has just seen heartache after heartache. And much of it, if you go and go through the messages or go through the passages, much of the heartache that David faced would have been avoidable had he dealt with things when they were small. Think about, of course, the whole situation with Bathsheba and then the, the prophet coming before David and saying, thou art the man. And it was a situation that David allowed to go on and on for months. And that, that situation in turn would cost him greatly. One of his most recent catastrophic situations was the challenge with Absalom, his son. If you'll remember, David allowed his son to begin an uprising. And instead of David facing it uh, uh, head on, he allowed it to fester and he allowed it to sit. And literally for years, David allowed these things to take place and it would cost him greatly. Absalom stole the heart of the people and turned many people against David. This caused David to flee out of his own house and out of his own city, the capital city of Jerusalem. And then we see a, a civil war between the people of Israel. And by the end of the situation with Absalom, lives are lost, including Absalom's life, the, the king's son. People are in disarray. David has lost his, his leadership and he's lost the respect of the people. He's lost his home. And then we saw a few weeks ago, David ends up in discouragement and really uh, almost in depression because of a situation that started as something small. But from our passage before us tonight, it's going to be clear that David, he learned a little bit of the lesson of dealing with things before they become too big to handle. And like weeds, if you and I can learn to deal with situations before they become too large, it will save us in the long run. But more specifically tonight, I want to talk about dealing with little sins, little temptations before they become too much to handle and there's a crop in our life that we never intended to be there. So let's go to 2 Samuel chapter 20 and I just want to read the first six verses. We're going to look at the, the whole chapter tonight, but just the first six verses to start. 2 Samuel chapter number 20, and let's stand together. We'll just read this together, and um, 
we'll get into the message. Second Samuel chapter 20 and verse number one, it says, and there happened to be a man of Belial whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he, Sheba, he, he blew a trumpet and he said, we have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. So every man of Israel, now right here it's delineating Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom. So now everybody from the north went up from after David and followed Sheba, the son of Bichri. But the men of Judah clave unto their king from Jordan, even unto Jerusalem. And David came to his house at Jerusalem and the king uh, took the 10 women, his concubines, whom he had left to keep the house and put them in ward and fed them, but went not in unto them. This is associating back to a situation with Absalom. So they were shut up unto the day of their death, living in widowhood. Then said the king to Amasa, assemble me the men of Judah within three days and be thou here present. So Amasa went to assemble the men of Judah, but he tarried longer than the set time which he had appointed him. And David said to Abishai, now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do us more harm than did Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. I'm going to stop right there for just right now. But what we find very quickly, what we find taking place is another uprising, another mutiny, if you will, another time when people of Israel following a leader that is not their king to turn away their hearts from the king. But David's response in this passage is very different than his response with, that, response with Absalom. And he actually says it well in verse number six when he says, hey, we better take care of this before it becomes something too big for us to handle. You know what David's saying? Hey, let's nip this in the bud. <laughs> hey, let's take care of this right now. And tonight we're going to learn some lessons about pulling weeds. We're gonna learn some lessons about nipping it in the bud. We're going to learn some lessons about dealing with temptation and dealing with sin in our life before it becomes something that's blown out of proportion, something that is catastrophic, and something that hurts in the long run. Let's pray, and then we'll get right into the Word of God. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight, why don't you just take a, a minute, and in the quietness of your heart, would you ask God to, to speak to you? Ask God to help you tonight. Would you make a commitment? God, if you're speaking tonight, I'm gonna listen. And God, would you help me to look at pulling out weeds in my life? Dear Lord, we thank you for tonight. Thank you for this, uh, this passage. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought and direction, that you'd help me. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us with these truths. And Father, that we would, um, that we would see tonight that you desire for us to see the little temptations and the little sin 
uh, sinful seeds in our life. And God, that you desire for us to see them and to pull them, to get them out. And God, I pray that you'd help us to learn the principle tonight and that you would um, speak to each one of us. Pray that if there's someone that's with us in person or online that doesn't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, they don't know they have a relationship with you, I pray that tonight would be the night that they put their faith and trust in you. And Lord, we love you. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. I said it a second ago, but when we pull weeds early on in the spring, when they're small, we're going to save ourselves a lot of work and a lot of frustration when the summer comes. And the same thing is true with sin and with temptation in our life. That when we work to allow God to help us defeat and conquer sin or temptation when it's small, we're going to have less hurt over the long run. We've seen in, <clears throat> in David's life, we've seen David not learn this lesson very well, haven't we? We've seen David allow things and situations to uh, prolong and kind of just go on and on and on. And in the end of the situation, David, much like, much like uh, Cain, uh, had the attitude of my punishment is too much to bear. And from our passage tonight, though, it seems that David is finally understanding the idea. He's finally understanding that we should deal with issues when they're small because it simplifies things over the long term. So as we come to this passage, we find again another uprising, another insurrection, if you will, caused by this man named Sheba. He, like Absalom, begins to turn the hearts of the people, especially the northern kingdom, away from David. But this time, David doesn't allow it to fester. No, this time he takes initiative to nip it in the bud. He sends a, a regiment of soldiers after Sheba. And notice what verse number seven says. We stopped at verse number six. Verse seven says that there went out after him Joab. Joab's men and the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men, and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue Sheba, the son of Bichri. Here's what's taking place. They determine David goes to Abishai and he says, hey, pursue after him. And all of the men, they saddle up and they go after him. Now they pursue him for a little bit. Amasa, the man that we just met, he dies in uh, verse 8 down through verse number 12. But skip down, if you would, to verse number 13, the last part of verse number 13. And let's catch the story and see what happens. It says, all the people, they went on after Joab to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. And he went through all the tribes of Israel unto Abel and to Beth Maacah. You can say that however you want to, but that's how I say it. And all the Barites, and they were gathered together and went also after him. And they came and besieged him in Abel of Bethmeacah. And they cast up a bank against the city. And it stood in the trench, and all the people that were with Joab battered the wall to throw it down. Then cried a, a wise woman out of the city. Hear, hear, say, I pray you unto Joab, come near hither that, that I may speak with thee. And when he was come near unto her, the woman said, Art thou Joab? He answered, I am he. Then she said unto him, Hear the words of thine handmaid. And he answered, I do hear. Then she spake, <clears throat> saying, There were wont to speak in old time, saying, they shall surely ask counsel at Abel. 
And so they ended the matter. I am one of them that are peaceable and faithful in Israel. Thou seekest to destroy a city and a mother in Israel. Why wilt thou swallow up the inheritance of the Lord? Joab answered and said, Far be it. Far be it from me that I should swallow up or destroy. The matter is not so. But, but a man of Mount Ephraim, Sheba, the son of Bichri by name, he hath lifted up his hand against the king, even against David. Deliver him only, and I will depart from the city. And the woman said unto Joab, Behold, his head shall be thrown to thee over the wall. Then the woman went unto all the people in her wisdom, and they cut off the head of Sheba, the son of Bichri, and cast it out to Joab. And he blew a trumpet, and they retired from the city, every man to his tent. And Joab returned to Jerusalem unto the king. <clears throat> I love this story because there's just, there's, I think there's a lot of humor in it. I think there's a lot of wisdom in it. But I love this lady. What did she have to say to go get everybody to behead? You know, I, I just don't know. Because if you look at what it says there, it says nothing to do with the message, just my brain. It just says, then the woman went unto the people in her wisdom. Next verse, and they cut off the head of Sheba. What did she say? You know, I'm, I'm curious. I don't know, maybe that'll be like the second year of questioning when we get to heaven. Like, what did that lady say when, when Joab was pursuing after Sheba? But nonetheless, she goes, she gives this, <coughs> this word of wisdom, this word of counsel to, to the city. And what do they do? They kill, they kill Sheba and they throw over the head and Joab returns in peace. And another civil war is avoided. Lives are saved. The destruction of the people and of the cities of Israel are brought to a minimum. And all of this, all of this is a result born out of David's heart in verse number three. In verse number six, when David says, this could be worse than Absalom, we've got to take care of it right now. And all of this is a result of David's decision to deal with an issue before it became catastrophic. And it's from this passage tonight that I think we can learn some lessons about dealing with sin and dealing with temptation before it becomes catastrophic. So I want you to notice just a few lessons tonight that we can learn from this passage. The first lesson I think we can learn is we must know that the enemy... The enemy never rests. The enemy never rests. Go back, if you will, to verse number one. Notice what we read. We read there that there happened to be a man of Belial, whose name was Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. And he blew a trumpet and said, We have no part in David, neither have we inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel. Go down to verse number three, not on the screen tonight, but it says in verse three, and David came to his house at Jerusalem. So here's what's taking place in the passage. 
If you were here three weeks ago and we talked about uh, the end of the war that David had with Absalom, we know that the battle that David, really uh, the ongoing um, uh, dispute, the ongoing argument between David and Absalom, it lasted for years. And so that ended, David retreat. David goes back to his home, but really it, it's almost as if it's just about the time that he's getting home and dealing with the heartache and the heartbreak that we read in chapter number 19, it's almost about the same time that this uprising from Sheba takes place. David doesn't have time to rest. David doesn't have time to take a break. It's like, hey, he, you just got back from one battle and David, you're entering the next. You know, something that, that we can learn from this is that just like David, he, he was just coming through discouragement, just coming through that, that state of depression with his, the loss of his son and everything that had took place. He didn't have time to take a break. No, instead, he needed to be on guard again. What's the obvious truth that we could walk away with from this? I think it's this principle, that the devil is always on the offensive. <clears throat> Can I remind you of a truth that we all need to know, and that's this. Don't ever put your guard down because the devil's attack is right around the corner. And you may, you may gain a victory, and like David, you may come through a season where uh, maybe discouragement was in your heart or in your life, and you come through a season, and you're thinking it's almost that time when it's like, finally, finally a breath of fresh air, finally a break, finally I can just get over or get past that, that previous uh, uh, hill or that previous battle, and finally I, I can just take it easy. And that's when the devil says, all right, I'm coming at you again hard. The devil never takes a break. He never, he, he, he never goes, uh, 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 takes a week off. No, we know that the scripture says that the devil, he may flee for a season, but it doesn't say how long that season is. It doesn't say how long the devil is going to abstain from allowing temptation or throwing uh, temptation in your path. And he likes to attack when, we're think we're, when we think we're safe. The devil likes to attack when we're kind of unwinding from a previous victory. It's kind of like sports. Those of you that have ever played sports, you know that when a team is just winning and winning and winning and winning, and then they come to the, you know, if it's the, it's the 7-0 and uh, undefeated football team versus the 0-7 football team, and the 7-0 and team is thinking, hey, man, we could rest our starters. Hey, we could just take a, we don't even need to really practice this week, don't need to take work. We really, you know, just don't take it seriously this week. And that's the game they're going to lose. Why? Because they go into it thinking, I've got this. If we can learn something about pulling sinful weeds in our life before they spring up into something we don't want, we need to start by learning that the devil, he never rests. He truly is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. And he is coming after you. And even though you got victory in that one area, you can expect the devil to throw a new temptation in your life. I love how one author put it. He said this, we must not think it strange while we are in this world if, the, if at the end of one trouble, or excuse me, if the end of one trouble be the beginning of another. Hey, don't think it's strange when it goes from temptation to temptation or test to test, uh, man, trial to trial. And if we're going to eliminate, pull out the, temptations and the weeds of sin that are in our life, we need to remember that the devil, he never rests. 
man, that obnoxious weed that's in my backyard, even though I pull it up, something's going to sprout up again. And I may get out there and we may, Dennis and I last year, uh, I think he went out and one day he sprayed everything with weed killer and I went out, we sprayed everything, I sprayed everything with weed killer and it started turning brown and just after a, a couple of days, we looked out there and man, it's all dying. But three days later, four days later, you know what? There's some new sprouts coming up. Hey, the devil doesn't rest with putting temptation and putting things across your life that he wants to use to deter you from your relationship with God. David went from the battle with Absalom right into the battle with Sheba. First principle we need to learn is that if we're going to pull weeds, we need to know that the devil, he never rests. But if we're going to pull weeds in our life, sinful weeds and temptation weeds in our life before they become a monster, we need secondly to see the insignificant as significant. See the insignificant as significant. Go with me to verse six. It says, David said to Abishai, now shall Sheba, the son of Bichri, do more harm than did Absalom. Take thou thy Lord's servants and pursue after him, lest he get him fenced cities and escape us. As we read this story, we could go to verse number one, again, what we read just a moment ago, and, and we could read about Sheba, the son of Bichri, who was of the tribe of Benjamin. And honestly, Sheba is not an important character in Scripture. As a matter of fact, this is the first and last time that we will ever read this man's name. Sheba, the son of Bichri, a Benjamite. We, we don't know much about him. And in this situation, think about David. What could David's response have been? I, I think David could have just easily excused it away. Right? David could have said, wait, wait, who? Who's against us? Sheba? Wait, you mean, the, you mean the little tribe of Benjamin? You mean, you mean Sheba, the son of Bichra? You mean that Sheba? Uh, just, hey, don't even worry about it. Abishai, Joab, hey guys, go on vacation. It's not going to amount to anything. David could have had that approach. He could have had the approach of this won't gain traction. Hey, this is nothing to worry about. No, even though Sheba was seemingly an insignificant character, even though Sheba was seemingly somebody that, that really nobody knew of or had heard of up to this point. I mean, they might have, but us reading the story, we, we've never encountered Sheba. He's an insignificant character up until 2 Samuel chapter number 20. But David sees the insignificant as significant. And before Sheba became a huge issue, David said, we have better take care of this. In your life and in my life, what may seem insignificant at times in our life, what may seem as a small issue should be dealt with before it becomes something huge. All too often we find ourselves seeing sin and and the seemingly insignificant temptations in life, we fail to see them for what they truly are. The fact is that sin is sin and temptation left unchecked, will become sin. And we need to see temptation and sin when it is small. It may seem insignificant, but it's still an enemy to our walk with God. 
David saw two similarities in the actions of Absalom, many that we could probably talk about, but David saw uh, just a few similarities in the actions of Absalom and Sheba. They were two different people, but David saw the similar motives. Think about this in your life. Sin may look different. Temptation may look different from temptation to temptation, but the motive of temptation, the motive of the devil using temptation, when I say temptation, I'm not talking about trials in life. I'm literally talking about temptation to sin. That temptation, the motive of temptation is always to draw your walk away from the Lord, to draw your heart away from God. And I want to say it this way tonight in the area specifically of temptation. Don't see the decisions that you make regarding temptation or uh, temptation moments, don't see them as insignificant. Let me give you an illustration. It could be seemingly an insignificant decision for someone who at one time struggled with alcohol to walk down the alcohol aisle at the grocery store. That could be a seemingly, I mean, that's, it could be an insignificant decision. But if that's a temptation that that person at one point struggled with, wisdom says, avoid that aisle. It may be insignificant to flip through the TV uh, channels or scroll on, on, I think about social media, it may, it may seem insignificant to go to some social media outlet and just uh, randomly scroll. But if it could take you to a channel or to a site that you don't need to be on, don't scroll. Don't channel surf. What is that? It's an, it's an insignificant decision, but it really isn't insignificant. I'll say it with this one. I, I have much respect for our previous vice president, Mike Pence, in the area that if you were paying attention about two years into his vice presidency, it came out that he had said, I will never be alone with another woman. Many of you remember that? Remember when that all kind of hit the news and people were like, what? What in the world? Why would you ever say that? And he'll say, I will never be alone with another woman outside of my wife or the ladies within my family. I will never do that. Now, that may seem like an insignificant decision, but you want to know one of the politicians that they can't peg with some weird uh, adulterous relationship or scandalous uh, 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 scandal? (laughs) I mean, mean, that works, right? Listen, you want to know the politician they can't peg with that? Mike Pence. Why? Because what, what seems to be maybe an insignificant decision, he has said, Listen, I'm not going to see it as insignificant because I don't want that insignificant thing to become something huge in my life. And I don't know maybe where you could apply this specifically in your life, but just understand that temptation is never significant. Insignificant, excuse me. Temptation is never insignificant. It is never something small. 
Temptation, the devil's use of temptation is always to distract you and to distract me and to deter our walk with God. And so if I'm going to learn to pull the weeds of sin and to pull the weeds of little uh, temptations in my life before they become a monster, I must see the insignificant for what it is significant. There are not just little decisions and small insignificant decisions in life that don't matter. No, 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 no. Every decision we make is choosing a direction. It may seem insignificant who that friend is or that influence is, but it's not insignificant. It may seem insignificant what TV shows or what movies you watch, but it is not insignificant. It may seem insignificant the the conversations that you have at work or at school or that that cutting up that you do with that with that coworker. That may seem insignificant, but over the long run, there are not insignificant decisions. They are all significant directing your life. Teenagers Listen, it's a significant decision that is directing your life in one way or another. And if you and I are going to battle sin and temptation before they become something insurmountable, we need to see the insignificant as significant. Notice the third lesson. The third lesson today, if we're going to pull sin in our life before it becomes a monster, if we're going to pull the weed of temptation out of our life before it becomes insurmountable, we've got to destroy sin's root cause. Destroy sin and temptation's root cause. Verse number seven. And there went out after him Joab's men and the Cherethites and the Pelethites and all the mighty men and they went out of Jerusalem to pursue after Sheba, the son of Bichri. When you come to the passage, you know what David, after verse number one, what David could have done is David could have said, men, I want you to go around to all of the villages up north, all the villages in Israel. Just go around and, hey, guys, just go door to door and beg them to come back. David could have said that. Guys, go and let's, let's try to campaign up in Israel and let's try to get them back on our side. David could have said, He could have said, you know what? Forget having them back. Let's just leave them be. A civil war's coming. Hey guys, prepare for battle and let's take them out. David could have had the approach of anytime we see people from Israel, from the Northern Kingdom, just kill them. Don't even ask questions if they're from the North, just kill them. Pretty soon we'll eliminate all the problems. But David didn't do that. Who did David go after? Sheba. What was Sheba? The source. The root. Sheba was the one leading the insurrection. And David understood Sheba is the one that needs to be dealt with. In your life and in my life, we need to attack sin and attack temptation at its root. And while we could talk about many root causes of sin, tonight I will say that I believe that the root of every sin is pride. Pride is me first. When we sin, we are doing so because it's me first. I'm gonna do what I want to do. And if we're going to gain victory over sin early, 
we're going to gain victory over temptation before it turns to sin, we've got to gain victory over the pride in our life that so easily springs up in our life. We have to learn to deal with pride every day. The Bible challenges us to humble our hearts before God. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humbling our heart before God and admitting our need to him in every matter and every situation is a, is a need and should be done for every Christian, whether you're a, a teenage boy, a teenage girl, whether you're a grandpa, whether you're a grandma, you're a married couple. Listen, every day, every day we submit our heart to the Lord, humbling ourselves before him, recognizing, God, we need you. You think about sin in our life. If you're dealing with bitterness, you want to know what the root of bitterness is? It's pride. I'm bitter because I didn't get my way. I'm bitter because they hurt me. I'm bitter because it's pride. Think about unforgiveness. I can't forgive. Why? Because pride, because of the, the injustice that was served to me. If you think about lust, it's a, uh, I mean, lust being lust for sensual things or just desiring for things that are not yours and, and maybe the en- an envious spirit. What is at the root? Pride, jealousy, pride. And the root of sin is pride and victory over sin in our life. It will not really come to us. We're not really going to be able to pull the weeds of temptation and pull the weeds of sin unless we first deal with pride in our life. You want to know why many Christians struggle with the same thing over and over and over and over again? It's because many, many times they won't just humble their heart. And battle pride in their life and allow God to bring victory. We need to know that if we're going to pull the weeds of temptation, weeds of sin in our life, we need to, number one, know the enemy never rests. Number two, see the insignificant as significant. Number three, destroy the root of sin, which is pride. Number four, if we're going to pull those weeds of temptation and sin, we need to allow others to counsel us. Allow other people to counsel you. In the passage that we read, we read about Joab coming before a wise woman of the city of Abel. In verse 18, we read it. You might not have kind of caught it. I didn't catch it the first time I read it, but verse number 18, it says that she spake saying that they were wont... Uh, that they were wont to speak in old times, saying they shall surely ask counsel at Abel, and so they ended the matter. What she's saying is, hey, historically, this town is a town of wisdom. Historically, this town is a town of, of counsel. That's what she's getting at. And you can go back, and historically, uh, at this point, this city of Abel, and the name that we can't pronounce there a few minutes ago, uh, this city was known as being a place where if you needed to make decisions, you went to them to receive counsel. And then it says, and so they ended the matter. They would always help you come to a decision in this city. And so this woman, she's willing to do what? She's willing to offer counsel into Joab's life. And so she steps up and this wise woman cries and she says, Joab, hey, I want you to listen, come near that I can speak unto you. And what does she say to him? Well, if you think about it, if we go back and we 
didn't read the in-between chapters, but Joab, in the middle of, of the passage, Joab pursuing after Sheba, he, he kills Abishai. And kind of, if you look at the passage, Joab's kind of on a killing spree. Joab's kind of just going through, and, and he, he kills, uh, not uh, uh, Abishai, he kills Amasa. Yeah, he kills Amasa. But he goes through, and, and Joab's just on this killing spree, just going and really just rampage. And they come to the city. We read right when they get to the city. What are they? I mean, they don't, they don't give any, any warning. They just walk right up to the city gates, and they begin to, to bang on those gates and build a, a big, uh, what would you call them? Battering rams, thank you, Mike. Uh, they just build those battering rams, and they start hammering that door, and that's when the woman peers over the top. Uh, excuse me. Hey, who's Joab? I want to talk to Joab. Are you Joab? Yes, ma'am, I am. Hey, Joab, I want to give you a piece of advice. Let me, let me throw some counsel your way. And what's she say? She says, Joab, you're on a killing spree. Are you really going to come? And Abel is one of the ancient cities in Israel. Are you really going to come and you're going to destroy a city? And you're, when, he, when she says you're going to destroy a mother in Israel, she's not talking about herself. She's talking about the, the city of Abel, that city there. Hey, this is a, a, one of the oldest cities in the area, one of the oldest cities of our forefathers here in the land. Are you really going to destroy the city? What, what's, what's your issue? What, what are you trying to do? And she offers him this counsel. Hey, Joab, stop. Let's think about this. Hey, Joab, let's get a practical approach to this. What are you doing? I'm trying to find Sheba. Okay, so you're after one man? Yeah, one man. Okay, I've got an idea. Hey, Joab, how, you, how about you spare the city? And before the end of the day, I'll toss his head over to you. Does that sound fair? Joab goes, yeah, that's all. I mean, he's the only one I'm after. Do you know what she did? She took time to speak wisdom into the situation. She advised, she gave counsel, and it saved the entire city. You know what you and I need to do at times while there's a whole message that we could preach on, on these, these verses? We need to allow other people to counsel us in our life to help us overcome sin and overcome temptation. See, God can often help you gain victory and he can help you gain the ability to pull out the weeds of temptation in your life when you allow other people to counsel you on that specific subject. And you and I, we should allow godly counsel into our life and, and then we should desire to be the voice of godly counsel in someone else's life. I think sometimes if we're not careful with temptation or with overcoming sin, we don't ever seek the counsel of people. Hey, how did you overcome this? Hey, have you ever battled this? Hey, what verses helped you gain the victory in this area? Sometimes we think, well, I'm the only one that faces this. And the fact is we're not. Often God brings godly people across our path to offer good counsel into our lives. And real quick, I just wanna say this. 
and I don't, I don't mean for it to be humorous, but ladies, don't underestimate the role that you have of speaking reason into the lives of those around you. I love the fact that this is just a why. I mean, I love that the Bible just calls her just a wise woman. She's just a wise, maybe an old woman, maybe a young woman. She's just a wise woman. So I don't know. She don't know who she was, but it's a woman that stepped up and spoke wisdom into this. I laughed, of course, this morning, if you were here, we talked about 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number three, that the head of the man is Christ and the head of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. And we talked about that. And I came across this quote uh, about this message after I had some things done for this morning's message, but I love this. Though the man be the head, it does not therefore follow that he has the monopoly of the brains. And someone wrote that about this specific passage, about this wise woman. And he actually put, where were the men? Why weren't they stepping up? They weren't stepping up. And so the lady did, and she spoke up. And at that time, of course, it was uncharacteristic within the culture for her to, for someone to, to speak out like that on behalf of a city. Man, the city leaders, the, the men would do that, but they weren't speaking up. So what did she do? She used wisdom, and she offered counsel in the situation, and God used her to help avoid something that could have been catastrophic for the city, for Joab's men, for David, for Israel, for all of them. She offered counsel. In your life, don't neglect good, godly counsel that comes your way. If we're gonna pull the weeds of sin out of our life before they become a monster, we must allow others to counsel us. And that goes right into this last lesson that I see tonight And that is that if we're going to pull the weeds of sin and temptation in our life before they grow into something big, we need to build a support team around us. Build a team around you. Where do we see this? Go to verse number 23. The reference on the screen says 16, but it's verse 23. It says, Now Joab was over all the host of Israel, And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Cherethites and over the Pelethites. And Adoram was over the tribute. And Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilud, was recorder. And Shiva was scribe. And Zadok and Abiathar were the priests. And Ira also, the Jirite, was a chief ruler about David. You know what I love? That David, and this, this is an interesting little thing. David, he, he didn't do all of this on his own. We're going to see it in a few weeks. <clears throat> but all of us, we could probably think of some great things that David did. We can think of David and Goliath. We can think of David and leading Israel well. We can think of David having great victories. But do you want to know when David, I mean, you can go and just, just kind of do the research When David was, if I can use this phrase, the most successful for God, when he was really accomplishing a lot for God, do you know what David had? He had good people built around him. He had good people that were investing in him. He had good people that were encouraging him. And I think that it's it's not insignificant that the Holy Spirit said to the author of 2 Samuel, 
put these words in there. Show people the team that was built around David at this time. I don't think, I don't think that's uh, 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 not intentional. I think it's intentional. And I think one of the lessons we can learn is that David, every time, many times, not every time, but many times when David was finding the best success in his walk with God is when he had a team built around him. And I just wanna close tonight by giving you that challenge that you need to build people around you who are not afraid to speak truth into your life. Get people around you who they have freedom to speak hard truths to you and build a team of people around you who encourage you and who love you and who want what is best for you because they want God's best for you. David, he had these people built around him and we're gonna see in a couple of weeks David's mighty men and all of the people that God used to to help David's life and many of them great men in and of themselves but God said, hey, when you give me a one man who has a surrendered heart and a people group that that are built up around him, man, I will show you somebody that I can do great things with and David truly was a, a great leader David had his flaws, but David was at his best when there were people built around him. You know, David knew he knew that Sheba needed to be dealt with before the situation became insurmountable. And we need to learn from this story that we need to deal with the seemingly insignificant areas of our life before they become a mountain. And so what weeds need to be pulled from your life tonight? What areas of your life do you need to gain victory over? If we're going to pull out those weeds before they become a monster, we need to know that the enemy never rests. See the insignificant as significant. Destroy sin at its root cause, which is pride. Allow other people to counsel you. And then build people around you that want to encourage you, want to help you in your walk with God, want to help you gain victory. But before I close tonight, I want to say this, that there may be somebody that you have an area of your life that already seems insurmountable. You have a sin or an area, a section in your heart that you think it's not a weed anymore. It's, it's a full-blown weed garden. It's become a, a giant bush. It's become something I can't overcome. Can I just wanna say, can I just say this, that With God, nothing is insurmountable. I love 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. And I said we were gonna end there and it's Romans 8, 37. Remember that in everything, we are more than conquerors. Why? Through him that loved us. Hey, regardless of what it is in your life, if it's a weed, pull it out before it becomes a tree. If it's already a tree, recognize that with God, there is victory. These truths can be applied even if it's a tree. Go to the root cause, pride. Even if it's a tree, get some counsel. How do I overcome this? How do I gain victory? Even if it's a tree, know that the devil, he's just gonna keep coming at you. And there is victory with the Lord. And so tonight, I just wanna encourage us to pull the weeds in our life before they spring up. If they're already big, ask God to show you ways to have victory in that area. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. 
And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.